The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down. Oh, you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine you woke up this morning and you saw an eye-popping headline about America and China. 
Now, as a brief setup for you, this is what's been going on in this imaginary scenario. China has been banning alcohol exports to the United States of America, and they were really our main supplier of alcohol. Let's pretend all these microbrews and things like that didn't exist here. We really got most of it from from China, and they banned it. Okay, that's... That's a big deal. Can you imagine what that alone would do to not just the national mood, not being able to obtain alcohol, but to businesses, bars, restaurants? You understand how profitable alcohol is in the country. I've told you this story before. I was buddies with a guy who owned a big fancy steakhouse back in Tucson, Arizona. And he and I had a long talk one night. We were just sitting out back having a cigar, just talking about the restaurant business because businesses fascinate me. They do. And he would run specials all the time. Like He'd run specials on burgers. Don't laugh when I say burger at a high-end steakhouse. If you've never had a cheeseburger at a high-end steakhouse, you don't know what you're missing because obviously the quality is all better. The quality of the meat, the quality of the chef, it's all better. But he would run these lunch specials on burgers and things like that. And I always thought that was funny. So I'm sitting there and I ask him, I'm like, what what are you doing running a burger special on Thursdays or whatever the day was? And he said, do you know something? I lose money on every single one of those cheeseburgers. And I said, wait, what? And he said, yeah, you don't understand. With the overhead costs, insurance, just everything that goes into running a restaurant, There are days, plural, in the week where I will break even or lose money. He said, I make my money on being at capacity Friday and Saturday. And I make my money on alcohol. He said, sure. So the guy that comes in and orders the burger on the burger special, drinks a glass of water with it. Yeah, he costs me money. There's no question about it. But I don't need to make money off of him because for every guy that comes in, orders a burger with a water, there will be five guys that come in and get a burger in a beer. And think about even the beer costs. I don't mean to get off on a tangent on our history segment here, but think about even beer costs in a restaurant. You go out, you get a six-pack of beer, decent beer. What's it going to cost you? Six bucks, seven bucks, eight bucks at a store, maybe nine if it's some fancy microbrew. So that's buck fifty a beer. Let's just be generous. Say buck fifty a beer. What do you pay at a restaurant for that beer? Three, four bucks. That's where they make their money. And I'm not insulting the restaurant industry in any way, but I want you to think about our imaginary scenario. Okay, you can't have alcohol anymore. Now think about the devastation economically that would have. Think about the tension internationally that would have, that would create between us and China. And so that's been going on. Now this morning as you wake up, there's something worse that's happening. This morning you wake up and you see, um, what, American soldiers kidnapped? American sailors kidnapped? Wait, what? And you do some digging into the story, and here's what you find out. You find out that China 
stopped an American naval vessel on the high seas. They went through the vessel. They found some Americans of Chinese descent. Anybody they thought even looked Chinese. And they took them. Not only did they take them, they took them and forced them to serve in the Chinese Navy instead. It's called impressment. What do you think the national reaction would be? Americans as a whole, by the grace of God, really are fairly averse to war. That's, that's, you should be. should be a last resort thing. War is unspeakably awful. Do you think the national mood would be, oh, it's wartime? You bet it would. You bet it would. There would be vocal opposition, obviously, but you'd have 60, 70% of the country ready to arm up right then and there. Now, that was the situation we were in with Britain in the early 1800s. The War of 1812. This is forgotten. How funny is it that most people in the United States of America, they can tell you a lot about Vietnam, or at least something about it. They can tell you something about World War II. Generally, they don't know much about World War I, which you know I geek out on. They can tell you about the, the Civil War. At least the high points. Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln. They'll tell you about the Revolutionary War. You ask the average American, and maybe that's you, what the War of 1812 was about. They have no idea. Or they'll totally answer something completely wrong about the whole thing. And that is not an insult on you or the average American. It's just... Well, as we've talked about several times before, there's so much history. There's so much knowledge out there, not just history, knowledge in general, world history, American history. You can't really control what your mind grabs and hangs on to and what it doesn't. You can't really control what you're interested in and what it doesn't. You can't. You absolutely can't. You see, we do this thing you and I do. We fight against our nature a lot. Now, to some extent, there are parts of you that you should fight against. I have several bad things about me. I mean, mostly that's pretty much just who I am. But also, you need to keep in mind You were created that way for a reason. I tell this to people when it comes to history because I have people ask me all the time now because I geek out on it. They'll they'll email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. They'll email me and they'll want to know, well, what? What 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 can I read when it comes to history? What what should I start on? Where do I begin? And the answer I will always give somebody, always universally, is well, what interests you? I'm all over the map on the show. Just because I like to bounce around, I think it keeps the show more interesting. It makes it more interesting for me. That's why I'll be on you know, the ancient Greeks one day, and I'll be talking about World War II the next day. 
from the Romans to the Revolutionary War to this serial killer to the I'm all over because I think it keeps I think it keeps the show interesting and it keeps me interested. But you start where you're interested and let it branch from there. Maybe you're an obsessive type. Maybe you'll nail down on the Civil War and read a thousand Civil War books before you move on. And you know what's wrong with that? Not a daggone thing. Not a daggone thing. Anyway, that's a brief side tangent. But the War of 1812 is one of those wars that kind of oddly, kind of not, really gets left out of the conversation a lot. We're going to hit a couple high points on that today. Hang on. I don't like to rub things in. What, Chris? All right, that's not fair. I love to rub things in. But in all seriousness, I don't like to rub things in if something's going well for me. Because I know there are so many people out there. I know we I know we got a million people listening. There are so many people out there. That same thing may not be going well for them. So when I say this, believe me, it's not that I'm trying to rub it in. But I feel refreshed and energetic today. And the reason I feel refreshed and energetic today is because I have an ebb sleep. Why don't you have an ebb sleep? Explain it to me. I have to know. I've told you about it for a long time now. You need to get one. It's a wearable device. It's not drugs. It's not sleeping pills. But it targets those thoughts racing through your head, puts you asleep faster, and keeps you asleep. Feel refreshed like I do. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryeb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get 25 bucks off. The War of 1812. Now, it should be, we do have to take note here, that everything is a matter of perspective. And people see this war in different ways. You see, from our perspective, I mean, this is the war where the British burned the U.S. Capitol. You realize that, right? The United States Capitol, Washington, D.C., was burned down. That's a big deal. This is the this is the and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Don't worry. This is the war of the Star Spangled Banner, burning down the Capitol. This was this was round two, us and those dirty Brits. This is yeah, it's a big deal for the Brits. Well, they don't even remember this thing at all. They don't even talk about it at all. And here's why: it's not that they're being snooty about it. Here's why. What else is going on in 1812, the early 1800s? What else is Britain dealing with at the time? Come on, I know you know it. Don't make me give it away right away. What is it? Yeah, 
a little man named Napoleon is absolutely rampaging through Europe. Rampaging through Europe. And Napoleon, remember, was more than just a, a conqueror. He was more than just a military leader. Napoleon was, I mean, frankly, and still is in some levels, a guy who was changing the way the people thought about how they should be governed. For all the negative things you can bring up about Napoleon, Napoleon believed in things, things like equality, things like that, rights that are still in place today. Napoleon was all about that life. People loved him, lots of them. He wasn't just dangerous because he had large armies and knew how to command them. Napoleon was dangerous because his ideas were dangerous. And, I mean, dangerous ideas are only worth so much. His ideas were dangerous, and this dude knew how to command armies. He knew logistically how to feed armies until he got to Russia. This man knew what he was doing, and he was creating a living hell for the other nations in Europe. And Britain and France, well, Britain and Napoleon were at each other's throats. Now, there's almost no question at this time, Britain was the greatest superpower in the world and probably significantly. And it was because they ruled, ruled the high seas. France was the greatest land power at this time by a mile. But remember, navies are important today. I'm not going to act like they're not. They are critically important today. It's critically important that we maintain the most powerful navy in the world. Why? Well, because we have two huge oceans on either our, on each side of us. So, yeah, you have to be able to protect those waters. So navies are important today. Navies aren't nearly as important today as it was back then. If you would ask any country in the world back in those days... What you would prefer, to have the greatest army in the world or the greatest navy in the world, every single one of them probably, unless it's a landlocked nation, would say, oh, I'd rather have the greatest navy. Why are they so important back then, even much more important then than they are today? Well, here's why. How do people get around with speed? Remember, there are no airplanes back then. No airplanes back then. And the road situation, there were roads. I'm not going to act like these people were cavemen without roads. There were roads, lots of them. The road situation was not this massive, you know, massive vein of superhighways. It just just was not. Shipping, ships, were how men and goods got to and fro back then. It would, this may be a bad example, but it's my show. I can use bad examples. It would be like one country controlling the internet. It was that big back then, the oceans. And the Brits controlled them and had colonies all over the world. And they were in this heated battle with France to see who would come out on top as the top colonial power in the world. And remember, we talked about this on our Revolutionary War show we just did recently. Remember, 
even that war, that was viewed as, I mean, it certainly was, it mattered to England. They didn't want to lose the Americas because we were so profitable and it was a nice big colony. But we were also a big pain in the rear end because the people who came here were rebellious types, which is kind of freaking awesome. They were making tons of money from the Caribbean, from places like Jamaica. It was just another, that that war was just another colonial battle to them. They lost it. They're still salty about it. I don't know if they still are, but they were salty about it for a long time. They didn't love losing it, but it wasn't for them what it was for us. 1812 rolls along. Britain is worried about Napoleon And then after that, they're worried about Napoleon. And then after that, they're worried about Napoleon. And after that, they're worried about Napoleon some more. The concerns in America are, well, there ain't many of them. Yes, Britain still has Canada, which is going to come into play here in a minute. But really, they didn't care that much that they didn't have us anymore. They're a little salty, but they didn't care that much. What they did care about was this, trade. They cared about it a lot. Now, I'm going to come off like a Britain defender here early, but again, we just love to examine all the sides to everything you know. I'm an America, oh yeah, guy. I am. But in their defense, here was the situation. America was founded on minding our own business. Remember, George Washington himself, even in his farewell address, was emphatic about it. Stay out of Europe's wars. Stay out of Europe's wars. These people are always at each other's throats. Look out for yourself. We'll we'll, we'll just trade with everyone and we'll mind our own business. We're blessed to be here. Nice and isolated, your problems are your problems. And that wasn't just one man. That wasn't just a farewell address. That was how Americans thought. Americans were emphatic about that. Well, no, we're not getting involved. Okay, Britain's fighting France. That's All right. Have fun. We're not getting involved in any way. But there comes a time when you have to get involved or when your involvement is forced because Britain began to do things we thought were absolutely tyrannical, but in Britain's eyes, they were completely warranted. Remember, Britain's the naval power. France is the land power. So Britain begins to get a bit salty about the United States of America trading with France. When Britain's out there trying to blockade France at every level, and we're trading with France? No, we're trading with Britain, too. Again, we were just all about that economic life. But Britain's saying, well, whoa, whoa. We're in a war here, a heated war, and you are, in their minds, funding the enemy, giving the enemy resources. Do you think that's going to be a problem? Oh, it was a problem. It was a big problem, and so Britain decided, well, they were going to be a little too heavy-handed. Hang on.
You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. And you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Britain decides, well, we're going to put a stop to this whole trading thing. In fact, no matter what, if you come into any of these ports, we're going to examine your ships. How do you think that would go over? And remember this. This is important to remember. We won the Revolutionary War. There's no question. But there's also no question Britain was, at this time, by a mile, a much, much, much stronger power than us. We were still really, really trying to find our footing as a country in the early 1800s, trying to figure out who we are, what we are. And when you're in that situation, there is something out there that is so, so important, and it's something we don't talk about. Security. Are you able to defend it? You know, America's founded on this wonderful idea. This wonderful idea that men should be free. That government, centralized federal government, should be very, very, very small and limited. And men should be free. And, and govern yourself. Go enjoy freedom. Go do your thing. And that's awesome, right? That sounds good. That's what we celebrate. We're about to celebrate it on the 4th of July. But here's the problem. What does that mean if you can't protect it? You can be freedom this, freedom that. You can be free and wealthy. Well, we're just going to trade with everyone. Oh, let's stay out of everything. And by the way, that's my foreign policy, too. I'm not criticizing George Washington, not by any stretch of the imagination. But what is freedom worth? If you're free, you trade, and you're trading, whoop, we're free, I can do what I want, the government's not doing anything to me. Oh, wow, I've got all this money, I've got all this money. But you lack the ability to defend it. Well, then it doesn't do you any good at all, right? All you're doing is... Saving up cash for when the strong guy comes in and steals it from you. He might as well be his bank. And Americans are starting to get really, really salty about the British. About the British 
doing these inspections about the British really pushing us around on the high seas. Now, they don't expect us to be able to take on Britain in a big naval battle or a big naval war. Nobody can do that at this time, but we better do something. We had better do something. And what should that something be? And Americans are getting really upset. This is affecting things. And then remember that China scenario? Then we're starting to get Brits impressing American troops. They called it impressment, American sailors. They would stop American cargo ships. This happened. And the Navy, the British Navy, needed manpower bad. They were in a long, expensive war with Napoleon. They had had over 100,000 people in the British Navy at this time. And they needed manpower. And they saw it. They saw America as their whipping boy. They still kind of thought of as America as their colony. And what do what do what do powerful nations do with their colonies? Well, one of the main things a colony is required to do is send troops, give troops when when the big when Big Daddy calls. And Britain would stop American merchant vessels and they would go through them. And they would find somebody with a British accent, no matter where they were born or what they said, and they'd just take them and put them in the, Ameri- in the British Navy. And it should be noted, we've talked about it before on the show, I'm not going to go into it today, but that's a hard, miserable life at this time, even now. Talk to somebody who's into you know these uh, transatlantic shipping Trans-Pacific shipping on these gigantic shipping vessels, even today. The sleeping quarters suck. The food sucks. The life sucks. That's a a tough life. Now, think about it back then. Think about it on an old sailing ship. No air conditioning. No refrigeration. Think about what even the food is like. Imagine, Imagine this. You... Kiss the wife and kids goodbye. Honey, I love you. We just gotta take this, we just gotta take this jaunt. We're gonna we're gonna head over, drop off these goods to, to Europe, and then we're gonna turn around and we'll come right back. See you in a few months. And you get kidnapped and they force you into the British Navy on the way. Think how much that sucks. And the Brits were doing that to Americans. Not one or two either. This was the norm. They're kidnapping Americans. And because they're getting upset with America, because we're defying them every possible way, they start doing something else. And this was a very, very, very big deal with Americans. You see, understand the wilderness as west in America was Michigan, Wisconsin. That was the west. That was the untamed west that was the wilderness that's that's you know that's where we're going well that was indian country then very very much indian country and i don't mean a couple scattered tribes i mean they're very powerful tribes back then and for decades after it was decades after this before the indians were finally pacified in america and these indian tribes were starting to get real Real salty with American settlers pushing west. And understand this. 
And remember, I'm not one of these anti-American people. I'm not one of these the saintly Native Americans, the evil Americans. I'm not. I don't do that game. We were pushing west. We were pushing west into their lands. They were always taking over each other's lands, so it ain't like they were saints in this whole thing. That's just how the world works. We were pushing west, and we viewed it as our manifest destiny, our God-given, you know, it's, it's, we viewed it as God is telling you, you have to push west, not just for your own enrichment, which happens to be a nice little side note, but you have to bring God to these savages. That's how they viewed it back then. We have to save these people, these godless heathens. That's how they viewed it. And part of saving them was taking over, bringing them into the fold, or just flat out kicking them out. But we're certainly not going to allow these these people here. That's how it was viewed at the time. And as you can imagine, that creates quite a bit of tension. And you're going to have violent flare-ups on both sides. And I can't stress this point enough because I hate how people teach history now. Everything is always, you know, American bad. Especially American, you know, American white people are bad. Everyone else is a saint. American white people are bad. There were bad things, horrible things done on both sides. And sometimes, we don't like to, we don't like to acknowledge this, sometimes... There are just bad actors in every group out there. I mean, why can't we just say that? Now, they would oversimplify things and we would oversimplify things if we're going to look at it as an us versus them thing. We would have, you know, of course we would have a group of young men, maybe too much to drink, maybe just bad young men gather together, assault an Indian village or, or an Indian family they find out. Same thing with them. They get a bad group of young men, angry, violent, rebellious, come massacre a, a settlement. And then what do we do? Well, we did the same thing they did. Well, all white people are bad. Well, well, all Indians are bad. Somebody get the government out here. We got to wipe them all out. And this was seriously, seriously a point of tension in this part of the world. So you understand the tension that was already there. And that brings us to the Brits. Hang on. We know the future is uncertain. I mean, everybody knows that, right? But there is something out there that is certain, and it's time for you and I to simply accept that reality. Much as it hurts, we know this economic bubble we are in is going to burst. They were saying it was going to burst anyway before all the coronavirus lockdown stuff. Now, we have deficits, debts, we have 40 million unemployed, we have business closures everywhere, and still you're trusting your 401k or IRA to stocks and bonds? Come on. You know how this ends. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. Get a precious metals IRA from Birch Gold. 
birchgold.com slash jesse. That's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash jesse. do don't worry i'm not getting off the history channel i'm just taking a quick side note here what do our green berets do anyone well yes they they're great at shooting people and blowing things up and and all these other things but the main mission of the green berets what they were designed to do what they do really well is Go to a nation, find people who are either completely aligned with what we want or in the very least share a common enemy with us, and they train and equip those people to take on our enemies. They do this all over the world. It is actually a wonderful, in my mind, wonderful mission, wonderful Relatively soft footprint way to conduct war. We're not hanging out a bunch of American lives to get slaughtered. Not sending in regular troops. Not occupying an area with with Americans. We're simply helping along somebody to try to get to where we're going. I really don't, you know, I really don't care for the Viet Cong very much. I'll tell you what. There are these people called the mountain yards, mountain yards in Vietnam. There are these tribes. They don't, they don't like the Viet Cong either. What if, what if we just sent some Green Berets over there to get these guys some weapons, teach them some basic tactics, teach them how to fight these guys so maybe we won't have to for very long or at all? That's what Green Berets do. That's what they've done all over the world. Afghanistan, Vietnam, that's what Green Berets do, and they do it really, really, really well. That's why I have so many of them on the show, much more than, than you know, other specialist types. Nothing against the other specialist types, but the Green Berets are different. They're thinkers, tend to be more mature than the average bear, tend to... Terry Shepard's talked to us about this on the show before. They tend to have to think for themselves about much more than just kicking down a door and shooting. They have to think about economics. They have to think about religions. They have to take a, think about personal relationships. Now, they drop you into a village. You've got to be ready to take on all the problems that village faces. The concept, however is not new. The Green Berets didn't invent this concept. This has been something people have been doing for a long, long, long time. 
And one of the great ways to, you know, one of the great examples of this is the colonial powers. This is what colonial powers would do to either nations they had a problem with or nations they already had. You remember we just did that uh, uh, that show on Idi Amin, the, the butcher of Uganda. And remember how he got his start? He got his start as, yeah, he was a Ugandan soldier, but he was under British officers. Now, why were they Ugandan soldiers and not British off- British soldiers? Well, I mean, if we have to go around, kick in some doors, kill some people, do some regulating in Uganda and your Britain, it certainly helps keep, it, keep the peace if it's not Brits doing it, if it's other Ugandans doing it. It helps to get someone else to do your fighting for you. That is the way business is done. Now, back to America. Back to America, early 1800s. Britain, they don't like America at this time. They have an issue with us. They have an issue with how we're conducting our business. They don't like certain things. And so they don't necessarily want to start firing cannons at us, although they did. We'll get to that in a second. You don't necessarily need to start off with a hot war. America's got its own issues. Like I said, we had real issues out on the frontier in the air fingers, quote, West. Because it wasn't really the West as we know it now. They really have a problem with these Indians. Man, these Indians are really making life miserable for the Americans. What if, I mean, instead of some full-scale invasion, we're busy. We got our hands full with Napoleon over here. What if we just kind of help them out a little? I mean, what's what's the real harm in maybe taking these Indian tribes and getting them some muskets, some ammo? Just a little extra firepower. What's the big deal? I mean, look, I'm assuming they're going to use it for hunting. I mean, if they don't happen to use it for hunting, I don't see what the problem is. How could that be a problem? What's the big deal? It's a nice way to do something without doing something. And again, I'm not judging the Brits for this. We still do this often, probably far too often to this day. Well, no, we don't really agree with your cause, but you're fighting somebody we don't like. Here, here, have some missiles. Here, just a few missiles. Hang on. Cybercrime is something that I have had to get a lot more boned up on. I just wasn't aware of how prevalent it was. And look, it's because I'm 38. That's going to be a lot of you or older. We didn't necessarily come up the, in the internet age. It existed, you know, but it was grandpa's old dial-up. So it's really hard for me to wrap my mind around crime online. I'm well aware of a, a bank holdup, a murder, so on and so forth. But online crime, that's the next frontier. They are stealing home titles all across the United States of America. As we speak, people are fighting this. They jack your home title, take a loan out against it, and you are stuck with the bill. And you are stuck with it unless you have home title lock. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Use the code JESSE. Get 30 days of protection. 
Here's the problem, though, when you start handing the Indians weapons, weapons you know they're going to use against Americans, weapons you want them to use against Americans, you want them to get a little stronger, a little tougher out there. The problem is that is going to start to stack onto this thing and that thing. You got the trade and you got the impressment, and now now you're going to have a real problem. Now you're going to have a major, major problem. You see, because eventually those Indians are going to use those British weapons on settlers. And settlers at one point in time are going to win one of these little battles and they're going to get a hold of one of these weapons and they're going to see where these weapons came from and they're going to go tell somebody. And now, now you're basically creating an act of war. And the Indians were led by what was what is by all accounts was an amazing leader at this time his name was tecumseh you know the general the civil war general william tecumseh sherman that's where he got that name was tecumseh and tecumseh had a really really good idea and if this guy had been running things for the indians from the time we landed on the shores of north america things might have turned out very 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 differently because this dude was switched on Hang on, I'll talk about it. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Now we're talking about the USS Chesapeake. We'll get back to Tecumseh in just a quick second because I need a, I need a couple minutes for him. The USS Chesapeake in pretty much the final shot is not a merchant vessel the British Navy stops. The British, they stop the USS Chesapeake, which is a U.S. Navy ship. Not only do they stop it and take men... Before they take them, they fire on the ship because we rightly said, uh, no, you can't come aboard and take anybody. This is our sovereign naval vessel. Now, that's pretty much the end of it. Now we're at war. Back to Tecumseh, though. He had an idea. It was a very, very brilliant idea. An idea, if, if it had been employed a lot earlier and employed better, might have completely changed the face of North America. It's up to you whether you decide whether it's for the better or worse. I would argue the civilization brought here has lifted untold millions here and around the world out of poverty, that the greater American purpose, the American impact on the world since its inception is a much greater good than leaving it to tribes. I don't care if that offends you. That's what I would argue. I think the evidence for that is overwhelming. But be that as it may, if you're one of these people who always roots for the Indians, in full disclosure, sometimes I do root for the Indians. I think the Indian tribes, lots of them are really cool. 
If you're one of the people who roots for the Indians, you probably love Tecumseh, and you probably scream at the other tribes, why wouldn't you do this? Why didn't you listen? His idea was this. Let's let's join together as Indians. Now, that may sound simple and easy and like a no-brainer to you and me when we read about it. Well, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, Indians should join together. But that's only because you and me, well, we don't realize just how broken up and opposed to each other these Indian tribes were. Not just in America, native peoples across the globe have gone through this. It's why so many of them were so easy to colonize. It's because we land... And we see one skin color, and we think, oh, they're kind of the same, probably together. And we get there for five seconds and realize, actually, they all hate each other. But they did the same thing to us. We would land. You know, someone from England would land. Oh, it's white people. And then someone from France would land. It's white people. Someone from Spain would land. It's white people. All these white people, when really all those countries hate each other. Americans, tell me if this sounds familiar, far too often try to break things down by the color of one's skin instead of looking deeper. The tribes, the reality of life was the native tribes here. Sometimes they got along. Oftentimes they didn't. Oftentimes they hated each other's freaking guts. Sometimes it was very, very peaceful. Sometimes, probably don't get to read about this in your history books because everyone has to lie about this now. Sometimes there were flat-out genocides. Some of the more warlike tribes wouldn't just try to outfight you, push you off this land or that land. They would kill you all. They would either kill you all or, in the case of tribes like the Comanche or the Apache, they would kill you and enslave you. They would sell you off to Mexico as a slave. You believe that? You didn't read about that, did you? And I am not one of these people who's destroying them. That's how they were. That was their culture. I'm not speaking out against them. I'm not. That's how they did things. But this false view of history, we always present people because now these days, in this bizarre anti-self-Western theology we've developed, everybody who was, you know, a white of European descent has to be thought of as evil. And everybody who is of any other, you know, race, ethnicity has to be thought of as very saintly and good and a victim of everything. No, that's not true. The conqueror of North America was just that. It was a conqueror. It's up to you to decide whether it was good or evil, but that's what they were doing to each other. Europeans, people of European descent simply got here and did it better. Tecumseh had a different idea. 
You see, he saw the tribes tearing each other apart all the time, and he didn't necessarily care about that until he realized, um, these white people think we're all the same, and I know some of you think you're going to get out of this okay. You're not going to get out of this okay. They're going to take your land too, 100%. So let's set aside... Some old grievances. I know this tribe's been at war with this tribe. I know we hate them and they hate us and these people hate these people. I realize all that. Let's join together and let's let's fight these people. The Brits, this was music to the ears of the Brits. And now you have... A unified, I mean, it wasn't universal by any stretch of the imagination. I don't want to act like every single Indian came together and they all just, they all sang Kumbaya and all got along. No, there were several people who wouldn't and things like that, but he still did join together a massive, massive federation. Dude was legit, a legit leader, should be honored as such, even though he fought against him. That's just the way it goes sometimes. Now, boom. War cooks off. We are officially at war with Britain, but remember, Britain's at war in Europe. Britain's at war with Napoleon. Britain only has like five to six to seven thousand troops in all of North America, and they're in Canada. Not only do they only have that many troops here, they don't really have the resources to be sending a lot more. They don't really have the resources to send a bunch of navy naval vessels over here to blockade ports, even though they obviously sent some and there were great naval battles. They don't have the resources to send 10, 20, 30,000 British troops over here. They, ca- they can't. They just can't. They were digging up the dregs of society and throwing British uniforms on them to send them over here. They couldn't send their crack troops. The ones they had... Well, that's really what they were stuck with. That's what they had to deal with. That and the Native Americans. They were joining with the Indians to fight us. Now, America, for our part, I'm not sure who was worse off. You see, the Brits, like I said, they didn't have very many. Let's call it 7,000. They didn't have many people here. And they had the Indians join, and some of the Indians could fight and some couldn't. Again, that's another one of these things. We always have to, we always have to sugarcoat that. Oh, they were all these amazing warriors if it wasn't for the white cannons and, and smallpox, the Indians would have won. No, that's a bunch of crap. Some of them were terrible fighters. Some of them were amazing fighters. The Comanche were incredible. It just, again, it's complicated. It's always complicated. Different peoples were different. And that's fine. That's fine. But I don't know whose situation was worse. Like I was saying, the British situation or the American situation, because the American situation was... What's the nicest way I can put not good? Hang on. to get a hold of birch gold and here's why 
even if you don't buy anything, even if you choose to go a different route, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not not trying to pressure you here. Get a hold of Birch Gold. Go to birchgold.com slash jesse and get their free 20-page kit. Just get information. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not telling you to do anything major. Go to birchgold.com slash jesse and start arming yourself with information. We are heading for economic pain, a lot of it, when this bubble blows. And if you if you have all your money in stocks and bonds, you're going to be wiped out. You're going to be wiped out, and I don't want it. I don't want that email from you saying I should have listened. Listen to me now. Birchgold.com slash Jesse. That's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash Jesse. If you thought the British situation was bleak, here's the situation in America. And it's kind of awesome, but it's kind of bleak. I'm not sure. Because of my foreign policy beliefs, I'm not sure whether I love this or hate this, but America doesn't really have a standing army. That sounds insane to us today, to even think about that. But in their defense, very much in their defense, that's how we were founded. We believed, emphatically, there are endless quotes from our founders about this. We believed emphatically that a standing army would destroy liberty. And the evidence for that is pretty strong. Very, very, very strong. Even of their own troops, Americans were extremely distrustful of standing armies. And in their defense, in case you're still thinking they're crazy, this is 1812. 1812. People who fought in the Revolutionary War, which was 1776, are very much alive. Very, very much alive. Those are 50, 60-year-old men now. Those are the people who lead society. In general, 50, 60-year-old men are the ones you're going to find in leadership roles in a society. Do you think the people from the Revolutionary War were a little bit concerned about standing armies on their own soil? They watched what the British did on... American soil, now granted the Brits didn't think it was American soil, but they watched what British troops did on American soil during the American Revolution. They watched with their own eyes British troops kicking in doors, bayoneting people, burning down villages. Now I'm not going to overblow that like a lot of people do. Like the movie The Patriot, which I love by the way, There's not really evidence of the Brits locking a bunch of women and children in a church and setting the church on fire. Were there atrocities committed by the British? You bet there were. We did the same thing to them 
again, I don't do this on, on to, to very many people at all where I point historically and say they were monsters. It's very difficult, extremely difficult to fight a war on someone else's territory, on someone else's ground, because their civilians live there. And how do you deal with that? What's right and what's wrong? Because we're about to deal with this again in the War of 1812. I love this concept. I love talking about this. If, if, I see like, if I seem like I'm going long today on history, it's because I am. I'm still not done yet. I don't care. What's right and what's wrong when it comes to fighting on someone else's soil? For you and them, because we all need to play by the same rules, right? Or at least we should, conceptually. Quick note, you can email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. That's jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Again, I probably won't respond. I do read them all, though. Every single one. You email it, I'll read it. What's right and wrong when you're on someone else's soil? Countries have struggled with this for a long time. Not just right and wrong, setting aside any moral obligation, if you choose to do that. What's smart? What's not smart? I brought up Vietnam before. It's, it's a great example, though, of what the British struggled with. Only this puts, this puts us in, in their shoes. We step on to South Vietnam... We decide we're going to make sure South Vietnam is going to be free. They're not going to be commies. They're not going to be those dirty commies. But but there are a bunch of people who live in South Vietnam. And South Vietnam was very much split. Yeah, half of them didn't want to be under the commies, but half of them did. So what is right and what is wrong when you're dealing with the civilian population? A civilian population very much involved in the combat operations. If not overtly, if they're not shooting at you directly, they're handing the enemy food and supplies the second you turn around and leave. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that morally? How do you deal with that militarily? They are part of the conflict. They are part of the enemy. But they also are women, children, old men. Understand what it means if you're one of these guys and I've been... The young testosterone-filled guys shouting this before. Just kill them all! Well, really? I mean, it sounds right. And I've had those feelings before. I've been in combat operations in situations similar to that. What if you're in Vietnam? What if your platoon is... Patrolling close to a village. What if you get to watch one of your closest friends die in front of you because he gets shot in the face from a sniper round you think or know came either from that village or close to it? What do you want to do in that moment? What's the right thing to do in that moment? 
if you're one of these people who believes, okay, let's set aside the moral part for a minute. If you're one of these people who believes the smart thing is to, well, go kill them all. Go kill every single one of them. Then you make sure everybody else around you knows what you did so they'll be scared, right? That's the thinking. That's the thinking. That's the justification for it when you hear that. But that's not... That sounds good. But that is generally not how that works. If you were considering resistance against an invading army, whatever town you live in, and there's an invading army, and they're occupying your soil, and you really don't like them, you're not sure, don't really like them, and you're considering how much you want to resist, and you wake up one morning and you find out they went to the next town over and they killed every man, woman, and child, and you, you're looking at a, a newspaper, you're looking at an online article, and you're looking at dead children who've been bayoneted, their homes burnt to the ground. Let me ask you, that make you want to surrender? Or that make you want to grab a weapon and go rock and roll? Yeah, it's complicated. It's tough pacification, putting down revolts, rebellions on someone else's soil. Whenever you are on someone else's soil, it gets really, really, really complicated. And let's be honest. Let's be honest. If it's not complicated, it's very likely really, really, really ugly uglier than you would ever be comfortable with. It is. How comfortable are you with death and killing and killing everyone? I mean, if you're operating on someone else's soil, do you know who really wrote the book on doing it successfully? Hang on, we'll talk about it. HomeTitleLock.com is providing a service that you absolutely must have or there's a chance you're going to get crushed. And in fact, while I think about it, go ahead and go to HomeTitleLock.com and put in your address now. While I'm talking to you, go put in your address because once you register your address there, you can actually see if you're already a victim of home title theft. This is the cybercrime of our era. It's not identity theft. It's not credit card theft. You get made whole from those things often. The real moneymaker out there for criminals is home title theft because it's so easy. People don't know about it, so they don't think about getting HomeTitleLock.com. And when you don't think about it, you were just left there exposed. Your financial future could be ruined. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Don't forget to use the code JESSE when you get there. Gives you 30 free days of protection.
the man who figured out how to operate on someone else's soil successfully was Genghis Khan. Do we do we think that that's the route we should go? Murdering everything? <laughs> it's probably probably not the route we should go. Probably not the route we should go. So, back to the Americans. I don't want to get sidetracked too much here. We didn't really have a standing army. It was tiny. Absolutely tiny. Minuscule. Poorly led. Now, again, this is what we were supposed to be. We had a ton, and I mean a ton, of militia. Four or five hundred thousand of them. But we were supposed to be a nation of United States. States meant everything back then. We don't think about that like them today. We don't. I've lived in, gosh, let me see, Ohio, Montana, California, Arizona. I've lived in five or six states. I don't know. I don't do the math. Already in my life. I'm 38 years old. I've lived in five or six states. That's not normal for back then. Your state was thought of as your country. So when I say nationwide, they had four or 500,000 militia. That sounds really nice until you consider these few things. One, militia are not trained very well. Two, the militia, uh, they didn't want to leave their state. The Massachusetts militia ain't marching to Ohio. At least they don't want to. Militia did not believe in offensive operations. It was tough to get them organized. Very tough to get them organized. Three, if you do get them to go, you can't really pay them very well or equip them very well. This is not 1900 America, 1940 America. This is 1812 America, and we don't have a ton of money. Now, we have some, but we don't have a ton. So here we are. The Brits don't have many, and they're all up in Canada. We've got access to people, but our people kind of suck and kind of don't want to be there. Plus, the Brits have the Indians. You see the problem? And it very, very much was a problem. Do you realize... It's funny to think about now. You realize we attempted a Canadian invasion? <laughs> you realize we've attempted that before? In, World, in, in the War of 1812, we attempted a Canadian invasion, and it did, not, it did not work. We attempted more than one, and it really didn't work. Our guys just, our guys didn't do offensive operations, and we kept getting stopped. Shoot, we lost the siege of Detroit, a man named Hall. We had the superior numbers and a great fort. I've told this story before on the show, so I'm not going to go into it. We lost 
because they essentially fooled him into thinking he was surrounded by thousands and thousands of Indians, and he was scared to death of Indians. And they, they essentially talked him into surrendering. The guy almost got lined up against the wall and shot for surrendering. The only reason we didn't flat out kill him was he was a Revolutionary War guy. He was well thought of. Now the war progresses along, and eventually we get to, well, the Brits get to a point where they lose the Indians. And they really lose the Indians because Tecumseh goes down. I think it was 1814, Tecumseh dies in battle. And he was the one holding that thing together. So we lose the Indians, Indians are gone, and the Brits... They do something. Again, it's weird how many Americans don't really know about it or don't really think about it. The Brits decide they're going to focus on the American capital. They're going to fire on Washington, D.C. And they do. I think in memory service, it was only like 2,500 troops. But they took off into the Chesapeake and they blasted their way into Washington, D.C. Now, they had a rule back then. Again, these were not the Genghis Khan eras. They really didn't fire on private residences or civilians unless they were fired upon. You know, just step aside. Step aside. Stay in your house. There was still a kinship there between us and them. Step aside. Stay in your house. So on and so forth. Well, that didn't work. A civilian takes a shot at him from his house right when the Brits are entering, and the whole family gets put to the sword, the whole household. But besides that, they actually didn't really go after private citizens when they stormed into Washington. In case you're wondering, yes, we had a defense, but again, it was militia. Militia are not well-trained. They broke and ran, as militia often did. The Brits storm into D.C., and burn down the government buildings. It wasn't really a strategic thing. They weren't going for something massive strategically. It was just kind of a gigantic go screw yourself to us. We managed to save the Declaration of Independence. That's why we still have the original. We managed to save the, they had kept like a journal of the Constitutional Convention and all that. We saved that and they saved some painting. I don't know what it is of George Washington. Other than that, a lot of our original history got torched, including the Presidential Palace. You heard me right, the Presidential Palace. You know it as the White House. Do you know it was not named the White House until after it got rebuilt, after the British burnt it down? Before that, it was the Presidential Palace. Also, just a couple more things before we wrap this up here, because I've gone on way too long today. I don't care. I was geeking out on it. Do you know why we have the Star Spangled Banner? I mean, people know Francis Scott Key, this and that. The words of the Star Spangled Banner about the flag. Well, the Brits thought, I think we'll go ahead and bomb Baltimore, too. I think we'll go ahead and sail on in and bomb Baltimore, too. Well, this was the era where you would set up a fort on the port, just rhymed, not to brag or anything. You would set up a fort on the port so you could protect it against naval vessels. 
And the British Navy, remember, was real stout. And we had a port in Baltimore called Fort McHenry. Fort McHenry. And it was there, obviously, to protect it. Now the British Navy knew this, and the British Navy decided this fort has got to go. So they would do... I I really wish I could go back and see one of these, because it had to be an awesome sight. I mean, scary. You don't really want to see somebody bombing your fort. I guess I'd rather see us doing it to someone else. But a bunch of ships, a bunch of old sailing ships sailing into a harbor and bombing a fort. That'd be awesome, right? Be awesome. Well, Fort McHenry is sitting there, and Fort McHenry is under fire. And there's obviously an American flag raised above Fort McHenry. And this was an era, be kind of cool if we could get back to that era, where the flag was revered, extremely revered. And someone getting a hold of your flag was a big deal. It's a huge dishonor. Somebody getting a hold of your flag and raising their flag over your fort, indicating you have been conquered, is a really, really, really big deal. So how did we get to this? How did we get this great star-spangled banner that you know and love? Well, I'll explain in a second. I don't like drugs. I just, I'm not, I'm not judging you. It's whatever you, whatever you do. I do I'm, I'm not, not, not into drugs. I'm not into putting things into my body. I'm not talking about the recreational kind either, just medicines and whatnot. I understand there are wonderful, necessary ones. And I don't like putting chemicals into my body to go to sleep at night. Been through that. I wake up and I'll be frank with you. I do not feel refreshed. I don't feel That much better if I get 10 hours of sleep on sleeping pills than I did when I got four hours of natural sleep the night before. I just don't. I don't. And I know a lot of you are similar. You need natural sleep, and you can get that with an ebb sleep, and you can get it every single night. It's right there for the taking. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Don't forget to use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get 25 bucks off. Why do you have the Star Spangled Banner? Because the people of Baltimore, and this had to be a completely surreal scene. And picture this. You see your big Fort McHenry there. You see the American flag waving on a big pool there. And the Navy, the British Royal Navy, began their bombardment at night as it was starting to get dark. And remember, this is not the spotlight era. This is not the era of electricity. 
The last time you see that flag is when the sun is dipping down over the horizon and you're a member of, you know, the Baltimore public. And imagine knowing you're at war with Britain. Your country is just just starting to get started, starting to figure itself out, wondering if it's going to if it's going to last. And you hear the cannon fire, you know the British ships are there, and you look out your window at night. Wife, kids probably join you on the front porch, and you look out across at Fort McHenry, and you see the American flag waving as the sun goes down. And the cannonballs are exploding against the fort walls. What are you thinking when you finally duck back inside? What's going on in your head as you finally duck back inside? Is your whole world about to change tomorrow? What are you going to see when the sun comes up and you look out? What are you going to see at that fort? Are you going to wake up and see the Union Jack waving above it? And that's what happened. The people, they went to bed. The American flag was there. They woke up the next morning, and the American flag was still there. In whatever condition it was in, it was still there waving. And it was supposed to be this moment of elation, this wonderful, wonderful moment of, wow, we stood up. And... As much as anything else, the War of 1812 was us asserting ourselves on the world stage to Britain and everyone else that we were for real, that we were a real country that was here to stay. Because obviously we won the war. Nothing significant happened, I should point out. Nothing. There were no real, according to the treaty we signed, there were no real concessions on either side. Nobody really did anything. The Brits backed off, and that was that. But we won, and we went from being this former colony, kind of current colony, and we'll see. I mean, freedom. Yeah. See how that works out. To, wow. They took on the most powerful country in the world, not once, but twice. And they came out on top. Remember, we didn't, we didn't take on the full force of the British Empire either time. We would have been massacred. But we did take them on. Their level of interest in keeping us or taking a shot at us is not, that doesn't matter. In the world's eyes, we, we gained some real footing. And this is the beginning of an era where the British will start to lose some footing. Now for them, that kind of got that kind of got overshadowed when they finally took down Napoleon. That certainly helps a lot. But yeah, how about that? The war of 1812 had a lot 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 to do with who we are. Quick side note here, just as we wrap things up. You remember that Indian Federation, all the Indians joined together and whatnot. 
It's part of the reason you have Andrew Jackson. You see the Federation also divided Indian tribes, and it severely divided some tribes down in Alabama. And part of that division resulted in a tribe rising up, massacring some white people. I believe it was at a fort. And Americans are not taking that stuff lightly these days, so they decide to raise a militia, Tennessee, Alabama militia, to go fight some Indians. And who did they pick to go fight these Indians and ended up massacring these Indians for what they did? A young man, maybe you've heard of him, a young man by the name of Andrew Jackson. A man constantly thought of as some horrible mass murderer. I need to do a show on Jackson, so I'm not going to break all this down, but I suspect when we finally start breaking down the Andrew Jackson thing, call it a hunch, I suspect maybe, just maybe, we're not going to find a mass murderer. Maybe we're going to find somebody ruthless, somebody who believed in something, somebody who believed in his era he was doing the right thing. Maybe he didn't, maybe he did. I guess that's a story for another day. Because today, it is time. We've screwed off enough. Let's dig into this insanity. Hang on. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. If you missed any part of the show so far, including our extended War of 1812 edition of our little history segment, don't forget the entire show is available on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. You can subscribe on iTunes. They just automatically download. Leave a five-star review on iTunes, please. And... This part is absolutely critical. Management just loves this. Leave a comment about how handsome I am in the reviews. It's super, super important. It is, Chris. Quit. It is. Look, I've been avoiding the news today. I'm allowed to avoid the news. I might avoid the news some more today. Why not? It all sucks. I mean, what what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? It's, it's 
Look, they're removing the protesters in Seattle. That's kind of cool. Well, the, what do they call it? The Chaz? All those people? You have to love. You have to love how these people operate. These freaking politicians are the absolute worst. So, to give you some semblance of the double standard problem we have in the United States of America, nothing sums this up better than what we're seeing in cities like Seattle, cities like Minneapolis. Hang on, I'll explain. Jesse Kelly Show. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum sunflower seeds. I I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Chew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 